Welcome to the latest edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And what a wild NBA trade deadline it was. And, well, where do you want to start? Because <laughs> there were a number of deals across the association. Um, but most notably when it comes to this audience on this show and this podcast specifically, we will obviously focus quite a bit on the Toronto Raptors and what they did and many people saying what they didn't do as well. The one deal that we can speak of, and it actually came, um, technically speaking, in the early hours of uh, Thursday morning. But, you know, if we want to get real official and say, well, kind of Wednesday night, but the, the clock had flipped, I believe, to, to just past midnight when the Raptors, um, it was leaked out, it was, it was rumbled about, and it was ultimately confirmed on Thursday that the Raptors did indeed acquire or even reacquire the services of Jakob Pertl, a man that they drafted uh, back in 2017 and uh, 2016, 2017. All the years are blending together, Jonesy, but Jakob Pertl, the one-time Raptor. You're getting old, Yeah, uh, I know, I know. Trust me. It's, You're it's, getting old. <laughs> the years, the years are catching the, up. And <laughs> Welcome to the club, brother. Welcome. Yep. That's all I can say. Welcome to the club now. Go, the uh, the cobwebs are shoppers. getting thicker and thicker. <laughs> shoppers Drug Mart has uh, senior day on Thursday, man. You buy all your groceries oh, and everything. Oh, is that the day? Well, well, Jonesy, go get me something, man. I'm a couple of years away, but give me those discounts, man. Give me those discounts. Um, well, so hey, Raptors, one thing about ahead, discount. Yep. One thing about discount. Masai wasn't taking no discounts for his players. <laughs> I have been talking to many people around the league, and you know, there's a steep price to pay. You want some of the Raptor guys? I mean, they obviously feel feel they have good players, and you weren't going to fleece him. Uh, or, or or Bobby for Bobby Webster for these guys and I'm, I know we'll get into it about going into free uh, going into the end of the season with free agents but I mean there's there's uh, there's mitigating circumstances and maybe benefits working around that too so I, and look you and I are in lockstep on this so uh, you know direct your your emails and your ads to Eric Smith and and Paul Jones because three in a row now. Uh, you get a center in Pirtle. You're starting to play well. You have what some people say is a favorable schedule coming home. Like I said, the last two nights, the Raptors have won one game and moved up three spots in the standings. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, let's see how it plays out. Let, let's see how it plays out. I mean, you know, is it championship material? No, but... It's certainly, I think, better than where they are showing right now. And let's see how it plays out. Well, Jonesy, here, here's my take on this. And I, I said this on Sportsnet, uh, you know, a little bit earlier as well. Going into the season, and I'm, and I'm, I'm asking you this rhetorically to some extent, but I'm, I'm kind of throwing this out to the audience as well. So as Jonesy just said, hit us up. Paul, double underscore Jones, Eric, double underscore Smith. You can find us. We don't hide. We interact. We're there. So hit us up. Answer this question honestly. At the beginning of the season, before the Raptors had played, training camp out west, then the preseason, then the initial stages of the year, what did you think the Raptors would be this year? Because what I thought they would be was somewhere where they were last year. Maybe not as high as five, Maybe six, seven, but right in that sort of five to eight range. I honestly didn't think they'd be as low as nine or ten, but I'm not sure that I saw them as a top three, four team either. And I remember saying, and Jonesy, I think you said the same thing, perhaps they 
were better last year than we thought because going into last season, did anybody have them as a 48-win team and a fifth seed in the East? So because of the expectations that were set and the bar that was set last year, because of how well Scotty Barnes played, because of the way that this team came together, and Masai Ujiri even said it on Thursday at his press conference in the afternoon, he already came out and said, hey, you know, maybe that bar was set a little bit too high. And what did we ultimately do? Nothing. We lost in the first round. We were bounced in six games. Okay, so now going into this year, you've underperformed. To me, somewhere the answer is in the middle. You overperformed last year. You've underperformed this year. And now can you actually play better in the final 30-odd games of the year, 25, 30 games, and figure out what you are? Because here's the other thing, Jonesy. As much as they didn't do a ton at this deadline, and some Raptor fans are up in the air about the fact that they didn't do this and they didn't do that, I would hazard to guess it's almost a 100% guarantee that something will happen in the offseason because they simply won't be able to afford to keep all of the guys going forward. When you and I do this show again next September, going into next season, I think there's very little chance that you're going to have Van Vliet and Pirtle and Ananobi and Trent all on the same team with Siakam and Barnes because I just don't think you can afford it. So moves will be coming. They just didn't come now. Yeah, I've always said that. The, the, the other de facto trade deadline day is draft day. And though things are much clearer and they, they crystallize much better when you know, oh, it's not just a second-round pick. It's number 34. And you've worked the guy out and you know who's going to be available then. It's not just some random second-round pick that you, oh, well. It, it, there's, I, I, you know, I always think it's prudent to wait. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm okay with that. And... Uh, you know, we can we can talk to our next guest about it because he's been around the block a few times with this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Well, I'll let you start with him, but I'll do the intro, I suppose. We just saw him on uh, Wednesday night, and uh, we're pleased to bring him into the conversation right now. In fact, he's at another game watching his son play, so we're not going to keep him long because we don't want to tear him away from family too long, especially watching a game. But, of course, former... Uh, NBA head coach, former Raptors assistant, longtime broadcaster. I mean, he probably needs no introduction, but we love always chatting with PJ Carlismo. PJ, thanks for the time. Hey, good being with you, Paul. How you guys doing? Uh, I'm good, PJ, and and I always I always bring this up for our new listeners. Was your first trip to Toronto in 1989 when you were trying to recruit Philip Dixon? Was that your first trip to Toronto? I don't think it was my first. I may have been there one other time, but I, I, I was I, probably just hanging out or something like that, you know, on vacation. And that was <laughs> one I, uh, I remember very, very well. So do, so do I, Coach. It was a recruiting job, but still. <laughs> it, was, it was two days after the he, national championship. He was a good and I, player, boy. And I, yeah, I was coaching a high school all-star team, and you walked into the gym and I almost fainted. And you walked in like, hey, no big deal, because you've been in a million gyms recruiting players already. And you walked in, and I almost fainted. And I sent my assistant over to make sure you had everything. If we could have rolled out the red carpet for you, we would have. But uh, yeah, it, you were great. It was, it, was, uh, it was a great time in Toronto basketball. And speaking of Toronto basketball, Coach, we got a guy back in Toronto that, that started uh, in Toronto and, and played really, I think, I thought he's played really well for San Antonio over his time there. What what are we going to see in the growth of Jakob Pertl as he comes back to Toronto? 
Well, I just think he's a, he's a little bit better in a, in a lot of different ways. Probably the biggest one to me, and, and, and i got to be honest, because I don't remember. I saw him on TV a bunch this year. I've seen him in person now three times. Um, the passing is what jumps out at me. I, I, I didn't recall. He may always have been a decent passer, but uh, he's passing the ball better than I recall him uh, doing it. Uh, he's, I mean, he's playing. He's top 10 in, or top 20 in rebounds. He's top 10 offensive rebounds. He was seventh before the game last night. I don't know if he slipped, but uh, ninth, he's shooting 62% from the field. He's blocking over a shot a game. I think he's top 20 in that. Uh, you know, you'd like him to shoot free throws a little bit better, but it's hard to be critical of any other aspect of his game. I thought he's played very well, and, and frankly, he's not playing with a lot of talent. Playing with a lot of young guys, you know, are good some nights, other, other nights not as good. Uh, so I think Jakob will play better, A, back in Toronto, B, uh, with the guys on your roster. I, I think he'll be even more productive. So I think it's a good move for him. I think it's a good move for the Raptors, uh, you know, that – for the Spurs, the Spurs are not going anywhere short time. Uh, and, and, you know, you, we didn't get a look at four of their better young players last night. Unfortunately, I hope they're going to play tomorrow night in Detroit. But um, I think Jakob has played very, very well for them. And there's no question. He, he makes no pretense of how he's always felt about Toronto. So I got to think we were all at dinner last night. The entire team was out to dinner. And during, I guess during the dinner, they, they finished the deal. And then Pop talked to Jakob. Uh, after the dinner, I did not get. I mean, I don't, I'm not close with Jakob anyhow. I didn't get a chance to talk to him or wish him good luck or anything like that. But I got to think he's pleased uh, being where he is. It was funny. Uh, Masai Ujiri already came out a couple hours ago as well, PJ, and said, you know, he walked in this morning to the uh, practice facility and, and found out from uh, assistant GM and uh, Dan Tolzman that Jakob was already there this morning having breakfast at the facility. So, I mean, he's he was ready to get to work with the Raptors right away. Um, PJ, tell me if I'm wrong in this kind of assessment. As a coach, I'm going to guess you don't get caught up in, like, draft picks and what it costs to get a certain player. It's like, who do I have to coach, and is my team better? And from that standpoint, if you're Nick Nurse right now staring at this, and, and, and P.J., I don't mean this disparagingly towards Ken Birch. Ken Birch was a solid pro with this team and started a lot of games for this club last year and the last couple of years a big part of you know a club that didn't have a lot in the middle. But he wasn't really part of the rotation this year. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to get healthy. So to give up a guy that really wasn't in your top 10 let alone top eight that was used so you know infrequently this season and to replace him quote-unquote replace him with a starting center and a young player in Pirtle that knows the system that knows a lot of the players that came into the league with a lot of your core guys this to me seems like a win-win at least when we look at it from the coach's standpoint and from the x's and o's and potential wins and losses standpoint I agree. We, uh, you know, it, it's for Nick to say, of course, not me, but, uh, you know, I'm sure Nick and uh, Masai had a lot of conversations, and I don't think they'd be bringing Jakob in right now uh, if they didn't think he could make a difference, and he's certainly capable. I mean, you're, you're talking a veteran player. He's a proven commodity in the league. There's no question about it. Uh, so I, I think I think it will be a big plus. Um, you know, offensive rebounding, uh, you know, for most of the year, uh, the Raptors have done a really good job, but he will help that also. I mean, he's, you know, he's one of the best offensive rebounders in the league, but I think he'll make him significantly better defensive rebounding. Um, I, I think he's capable. Of, he actually, last night, was one of his poorer games finishing inside. 
Um, he, he didn't do as good a job as he's been doing recently, but I, I think the uh, the passing is going to make a difference. I think you know perhaps there won't have to be as much you know guys creating for themselves and creating off the dribble. So uh, I like him. I, I think he's a, he, yeah. I think he's a very very good addition at this stage. And unlike virtually everybody else in the league, he, he's not introducing himself to the other guys on the team and has no idea what's going on in terms of. Uh, you know, the, the system and what it's like to play in Toronto. And that's a big plus. I mean, he's going to hit the floor running. I mean, he's got, uh, what do you guys got, three or four left uh, before the All-Star break. But, I mean, I, he's going to be on board and I think comfortable uh, more quickly than almost anybody that's been traded uh, two-way. The players will be comfortable playing with him and he's going to be very comfortable uh, in the system and, and playing with, with uh, a lot of, uh, you know, guys he knows very well. PJ, you see the potential for the Raptors to take off. There's a lot of hand-wringing and consternation from the fan base that nothing was done. And, I mean, this was the same team that finished, what, like fifth last year in, 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 in the East, and they've, you know, arguably underachieved. But, I mean, there's never too late. You, you see this team potentially taking off? Yeah, I'm, I would not be surprised if they did. It's, it's, it's difficult. I, to me, it just it makes you appreciate more you know, when you have a really good year, when you do, you know, maybe you play a little better than you were supposed to play, that it, it's not it's not that easy. You don't just throw them out there and, oh, everything's going to take care of itself. Um, you, you know, you're going to get some uh, <clears throat> other teams. Uh, the Cavs were, were a lot better. The Nets, nobody knew what the hell was going to happen with the Nets. Um, I think the Knicks are a much better team. Um, you know, it, it will not surprise me if they do. That's not to say that, you know, I think they're that badly underachieved. They're, the good news is they're not that far out. What is it? it was four and a half last night or something like that behind the heat for six where you're not, you know, not even in a playing game. And I think there's proven playoff experience. There's confidence that, that is legitimate confidence. And there's obviously great coaching. So, uh, no, I, will not, I would not be surprised even in the balanced crazy East where, you know, anybody can beat anybody and teams can win three, four in a row or lose three, four in a row uh, at, at any point. Um, I, I will not be surprised if the Raptors make a move and end up not just in the playoffs, but it ends up with maybe with a better seed than a lot of people are going to anticipate. And I can guarantee you there's nobody that's going to say, oh, good, we got the Raptors in the playoffs. What a good draw this is. Nobody's going to look on that as a good draw. So, um, it, it remains to be seen. I'm looking forward to March. I think March is going to be incredible post all-star game to see which teams are stepping up and which teams going into April. It seems that the league ends earlier this year than normal. I don't remember the, the finish state being as, as early as it uh, is this year, but I think how somebody goes in golden state was the proof of that last year. I mean, golden state really came together about a week before the regular season ended. Now I know that's, you know, uh, but you're talking about what, what, what is Golden State and, and Toronto have in common? You're talking recent champions um, with, with a lot of proven commodities. So, yeah, if things would come together and, and a team playing really well those last couple weeks of the regular season, uh, I, I think there will be some prizes, uh, some surprises in the playoffs this year. I think some teams that nobody's talking about now may very well be playing very well uh, by you know the end of March. Hey, PJ, we could probably do the entire hour with you, but we won't do that to you. Ten minutes is great, especially on an off night. And I know, again, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're watching your son, so go Eastern Illinois. And I'll tell you this as well. I meant to say this to you last night. You're more of a wine guy than me. I like to think I'm a bit of a wine guy. But, but PJ, I, I, got, I got a recommendation for you, okay? I got a recommendation. I'm, I'm listening. 
if you haven't had it, all right, because you know, I, I, like your yeah. your your price range is a little higher than mine. But still, if you can come down to the depths with me a little bit, Bonanza, Bonanza, Bonanza is a wine that is made by Camus, but it's not like 120 a bottle. It's like 30 bucks a bottle. It's made by Camus Wineries. So find yourself Bonanza, and you will not I, go wrong. I've never tried it. I will. The guys at Eleven. Uh, I used to call it the ACC, and I always forget Scotiabank. Um, now, uh, turned me on to Peter Francis, which is a California wine, but it was great. The the original guys that were running 11, we used to eat at 11 like two, three nights a week, turned me on to a great Zinn, uh, Peter Francis. So this will be my second uh, good recommendation out of Toronto, and I know it'll pan out. I, I will report back. Oh, oh, hey, all right, please do. Hey, it's, hey. <laughs> Hold the judgment on the good recommendation, the second one, okay? Just just hold on to it for a minute. <laughs> All right, Joseph, I will. I, I'm expecting to see Mark this weekend. I'll see. I don't know who's got Memphis, uh, Boston for TV, but Kesty and I will be there. So uh, I would I would expect to see the, the lesser of the Jones brothers. <laughs> there you go. You tell him that. You tell yeah, him that. Thanks, yeah. PJ. Of course I'm going to tell him, for sure. All right, PJ. Thanks for this. There is PJ Carlissimo, and uh, he mentioned Kesty, Mark Kestisher, fabulous broadcaster as well, uh, one of the best on the radio, one of the best radio or TV, period. Uh, but we appreciate PJ yeah. Carlissimo joining us to start the show this week. I heard you, I heard you trying to jump in there, Jonesy. What did you got for me? No, no, no. I, I, uh, I, I found it interesting that PJ, what he talked about with Jakob hitting the floor running and um, I, I don't know, maybe I'm, my expectations are too lofty for the Raptors, but I just think this team's going to string some wins together coming down the stretch. Just me. Well, hey, you're looking at that stretch of games before All-Star that we're in right now. Depending on when you're listening to the show live right now or, or, or later on, the Raptors have winnable games before we officially hit the break. But as you say, coming down the stretch, like even after the All-Star break, okay, the Pelicans... They've kind of come back down to earth a little bit after their hot start. Zion Williamson's health, obviously a major factor. you got the Pistons. you got the Cavs, who have played well this year, but you've played well against them. The Bulls, who you're neck and neck with. You flip the calendar into March. A couple of games against Washington. Yeah, okay, you got two against Denver, but you got OKC. you got Indiana. you got Detroit. Like, Jonesy, it's, it's not out of the realm of possibility for this team, as you say, to go on a little bit of a run. Let's see, though, if we're out to lunch on this or if this – Next guest of ours agrees with us, disagrees with us, tells us we're crazy, or tells us we're bang on. National NBA writer, he's been covering the Raptors since day one, from the Toronto Star, Doug Smith. Smitty, appreciate the time as always. Um, we just finished chatting with PJ Carlissimo. Initially, your gut on what the Raptors did, and then also didn't do, and where they stand heading into the final, you know, eight, ten weeks of the season. Well, first of all, I hope PJ gave me a good restaurant recommendation because he's like the major D of the world. Um, but uh, the Raptors did exactly what I thought they would do, which is very little. Because Messiah is not a panic-driven general manager or vice chairman, whatever his title is. And uh, the scope of your possibilities expands endlessly in the summer. And that's when you do the heavy lifting. And I don't think there was heavy lifting to do right now. I think there will be in the summer. But they did pretty much what I thought they would do today. Doug, I, I agree. I just think, you know, the summer stuff crystallizes more. Um, but the other side of that is how 
how much better do you think this team can perform? Like it's quietly three wins in a row now. You know, not not spectacular. Houston was a good win at Memphis. You know, you look at the records last night, you think, okay, they were supposed to get that. But they're in a stretch now where they could string a bunch together. Is it out of the realm of possibility that they make a climb up the standings? Oh, not at all, Jonesy. I think they could get to seven or eight for sure. I think six might be out of reach. But, you know, the teams ahead of them, New York, uh, Chicago, Atlanta, Washington, they're, they're certainly not Indiana. They're, they're certainly not overwhelming. And the Raptors schedule, I heard Eric talking about before this came on, but the schedule, there are tough stretches, but basically it's not too bad. And they could rattle off a bunch of wins, and then you're in the race. Then you're in that whole tiebreaker stuff between 7, 8, 9, and 10. And who knows how that works out in April. You know, but they, they, could, they could win a lot of games. They could win a lot of games in the next five weeks. Yeah, and, and Smitty, I, I don't anticipate a run like they had last year when they went 25 and 11 down the stretch. Um, obviously, the math doesn't even work out that way. We're, we're past we're past the 36 game mark. But either way, I don't see that type of run. But do I see enough of a run where this team could be a couple of games above 500 when the dust settles? Yeah, maybe because I think are they a better team on Thursday than they were on Wednesday? I believe they are. I, you know, and again, it's a big knock on wood. But when healthy, and let's keep the fingers crossed that OG Ananobi is back sooner than later, but when healthy, if you can roll out Fred Van Vliet with OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Scotty Barnes, and Jakob Pertl with a second unit of Gary Trent, Precious Achua, and Chris Boucher, I think that's pretty good. And even if people listening don't want to believe you or me or Jonesy and they say that, oh, we're, we're too close to it, or oh, the apologists or whatever you know, crap is out there, P.J. Carlissimo himself, who's done a hell of a lot more in the NBA than any of the three of us, he just finished saying as well, Smitty, you're telling me that a team in the playoffs, even a top team in the playoffs, is going to want to look across at an eighth seed or something to go, we got to play the Raptors in round one? Like, that's yeah, coming from PJ. That's coming from a guy who's been there. Yeah, and they got a lot of guys who are, you know, they got Pascal and Fred who have been there before. They got Scotty Barnes who doesn't apparently shy away from the moment. So I think that's a good thing to have. And yeah, you don't want to play them. I, mean, I don't know. Can they go? Can they go sixty to ten the rest of the way and finish one game above five hundred? And where's that get them? Does that get them six or seven or eight? Can they go seventeen and nine and finish at in sixth place? And then, then it's all then it's a twisted your twisted ankle away from being in a conference final. So you got you got to get in there first, and they got to continue this streak where they played they played pretty well for two and a half weeks on on the whole. If they could continue that for another month, then they're going to make they're going to they're going to climb because the teams ahead of them, I don't think are very good. Doug, price wise, do you think that you know Masai had talked about um, you know those deals will be there in the summer, in that sense? Do you think there might have been too big a price to ask, and maybe? I wouldn't say overvaluing, but believing in his players and that, no, these guys are good. And if we don't do anything, as we've just been talking about, we're, we're okay to try and make a run. Oh, yeah, they're, they're absolutely okay to make a run. And they're also okay to get a, uh, a deeper pool to deal with in June and July. Because, you know, right now there are legitimately maybe, what, four teams, five teams looking for an OB or Van Vliet. In the summer, there might be 15, and then you can sort of drive the price. You can you can negotiate up. Today, they were 
So they had the pieces that people wanted, but there were fewer people that wanted them. In the summer, there's going to be a lot more teams out there looking for them. You know, and Smitty, to that point, and, and sorry for the Captain Obvious statement, but for all the reasons we're discussing the fact that there could be deals and there likely will be deals and more suitors in the offseason, it's because they're also going to know then what they're dealing with. It's a sign-and-trade scenario or, or whatever it may be, as opposed to right now, I'm going to assume that all the chatter that was out there, all the rumor and speculation and everything else, there's not going to be a lineup of teams that were willing to give up multiple, multiple picks or massive packages for guys, not necessarily OG, but for Fred, for Gary, for others, that were going to be free agents, and teams aren't going to give up the farm for a guy that might end up walking away from them. So if, you're, if you're a good team now and you want that last piece, you're not going to give up good pieces again because that, that takes you back a step. Right. So you're not... You know, if they're dealing with the Clippers, for instance, the Clippers want to win the West. So they're not going to give you good players because they want to stay good. In the summer, if it, if it doesn't work out for a team like that, they might want to make a change. Portland's, a, Portland's an interesting one, too. If it doesn't work again, Portland might want to divest itself from some very good players in the summer that they wouldn't do now because they still think they got a shot. Yeah. The, the depth of Doug, the depth of trading partners are it's so much deeper in June and July than it is today that it makes entire sense to wait. Doug, how much of those scenarios, like you said, with trading partners, involves, especially with guys whose deals are up, involves keeping the bird rights and doing something I've always said: sign and trades, because you can give the guy more, longer term and more money. Yeah, yeah that's, no, that takes. The players got to agree to it. The agents got to agree to it. The other teams got to agree to it. It's hard to do because what's well, hard to do because a lot of teams don't do it. That shows you that it's hard to do. But it can be done. And if you get a team that's motivated enough to do it, that thinks it's a, a training camp at a first 50 games of the year away from being good, then they might do it in June that they wouldn't do it today. So I, I, get, the, I get the fans are kicked because – they were supposed to be big players this week, and they weren't. But you can understand why they weren't if you step, if you step back and look at what, what might be coming. Smitty, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you down at the barn. We'll be there tomorrow night. There All right, Smitty. Doug Smith of the Toronto Star National NBA writers, well, been covering the team since day one. And uh, we appreciate his time. And, and Jonesy, um, before we we get to this, we're gonna we're gonna play a couple of comments from Masai Ujiri for the for the folks that maybe didn't have a chance to hear him uh, a little bit earlier. Um, you mentioned I don't know what you can or can't say or whatever else, but you were you were kind of active and buzzing around the phones uh, throughout the day and whatnot. Uh, like what what light can you shed or what little you know nuggets of uh, pearls of wisdom do you have for us in terms of what? did happen, what didn't happen, what almost happened, and, and kind of the scuttlebutt that was out there? Well, look, I, I was on the phone with a lot of people, and they said, you know, Toronto was, for what some teams wanted, to Doug's point, to reinforce their team with good players from Toronto, they weren't willing to give up uh, A, good players, or B, uh, you know, go down the road of the number of draft picks that, that Toronto was looking for. So, you know, it's, it's like a guy knocking on your door, Eric, and saying, hey, Eric Smith, yeah, I'm so-and-so from uh, 
Paul Jones Realty. Uh, are you selling your house? And you say, no, I'm not. Well, hey, what if I offered you this much? Hey, if the guy offered you like $8 million for a house you paid 200000 for, you're like, yeah, take the house. I'll find somewhere else to live for that. But, that, you know, that's, that's, that's not the case. I mean, the Raptors had a price, maybe too high for some people. And, and from the people I talked to, it, it, it just wasn't there. And then you started to see potential suitors where they thought this guy could be, he could be headed to Team A or Team B or Team C. They're like, okay, well, we're moving off Toronto because we can't pay that. Let's see if we can get maybe a lesser player, a guy who's almost as good for a cheaper price. That's out of my price range. So, um, you know, that's, it, it, and, and again, you and I have talked about this. You know, maybe we're in the minority, but I'm, I'm kind of okay with it being the way it is. Make your run with this team and then deal with more scenarios, maybe more favorable scenarios when you hit it in the summer. Uh, there was, you know, the people I talked to, there were a lot of people looking for uh, Toronto players. I, I know uh, somebody told me that, uh, you know, Gary Trent Jr., at least nine teams called for him. Well, why? Yeah, because he's, he's a heck of a player and he'd help you in a, in a playoff run or maybe a championship run, depending on who was able to get their hands on him. So there were a lot of players, Toronto players that were coveted. And listen, if the price is not right, you know, Bobby and Masai are going to sit and say, no, it's, that's, that's not what we want. They control the cards. Okay, well, we've mentioned Masai a couple of times. We'll maybe play a little bit more later on in the show, but let's give you one right now. Uh, Masai Ujiri on, on how he views or even viewed the deadline. You know, um, the way I look at the deadline, um, it's, it's really um, not a great place to make long-term decisions. And that's, that's how um, one of the ways we looked at it um, in terms of some of the things we were getting. So there you go. And, and, and here's the other thing, too. Again, I, I'm going to reference the same line I said, what, five minutes ago? Can I give you another Captain Obvious, Jonesy? And, and this is more sure. to, the, to, the, to the fans, to the listeners, whatever. Hopefully most folks know this as well. It's better to make no deal than make a bad deal. And I wasn't in the room... Jonesy wasn't in the room. Unless Bobby Webster or Masai Ujiri or Dan Tolzman or Nick Nurse is listening to this show right now, you know what, folks? You weren't in the room either. So you have no idea what was actually offered. You have no idea the incredible trade the Raptors turned down or the incredibly insane offer the Raptors were trying to get a team to bite on. Point being... There is an element of trust in all this. I know that's crazy sometimes, but trusting people to do the jobs that they're hired to do, do the jobs that not so long ago you were throwing rose petals at the feet of these people for their decision-making, and now suddenly a trade deadline comes and goes, oh, I can't believe they didn't make a trade. There's probably a reason they didn't make said trade. There's probably a reason these players are still here beyond just we like them, we believe in them, we think they're good. It might be because we're not giving away 10 cents on the dollar and we're not going to get ourselves fleeced. So we're being patient and making a decision later as opposed to rushing into it or feeling forced into it right now. Like, that doesn't seem so crazy or, or, or unbelievable to me, and I don't think it should to you. 
I agree. I agree. And, you know, like I said, I, this is probably the third or fourth time that, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've said this on this show in the, in the first part of it. We were fine with this team standing pat. Uh, I, I, am, I am fine with it. And, you know, Masai had the great thing, great line there about it's not always a place to make long-term deals. A lot of people are looking for short-term fixes to get them into the playoffs or, or, or get them to a championship. And, and sometimes it's, you know, you go on a spending spree and you regret it later. Now, I think the Raptors are being prudent with what they did. Just one other thing before we step aside for a quick break here. Um, in the move that they did make, uh, and um, you know, I give credit where credit's due. I'm 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 not good enough to figure out the math sometimes on some of this stuff. But Blake Murphy did mention this uh, already, um, and I'm just trying to 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 get the exact wordage because Blake, you know, wrote it and I, I retweeted it. Um, the Raptors have been granted a three million dollar disabled player exception, which they applied for for Otto Porter's season-ending injury. So it was granted. That kind of flew under the radar, and Blake tweeted it out uh, on, on Thursday. So, Jonesy, we can discuss this maybe after the break, but you got $3 million now in that, that, that injury exception because of the, uh, the injury for, for Otto. Well, there are some interesting names that are already on the buyout market players that have already been waived and players that are speculated to. Like, again, I'm not saying any of these are specifically to the Raptors. I'm just giving you the names. John Wall, Russell Westbrook, uh, Derek Rose, Terrence Ross might be bought out in Orlando, uh, Rudy Gay, Danny Green, Serge Ibaka, Reggie Jackson, Dwayne Dedman, Corey Joseph, George Hill. Like, who knows? You got three million bucks to spend, and there's some pretty decent players, veteran pieces in that buyout market you could potentially improve your team even more. So we shall see with Agreed. 26 games Agreed. remaining, right? It's, uh, now is the time. You know, your, your kind of wild run to the finish with, like, you know, after the All-Star break, most teams have, you know, 20, 25 games left, and um, let, let's see what happens. All right, there were a ton of trades in the association on Thursday and uh, it, you know, probably didn't get any bigger and it hasn't gotten any bigger in recent years than the massive deal pulled off between the Brooklyn Nets and the Phoenix Suns. We will discuss that and other trades, other teams that we liked and that we saw improve when uh, Sean Powell joins us from NBA.com next on Smith and Jones. Back on Smith & Jones, Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Again, subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks to Doug Smith from the Toronto Star for joining us. Also, PJ Carlissimo. And uh, pleased to bring into the conversation right now from NBA.com, Sean Powell. Sean, thanks for the time. Anytime, my man. What's going on? Hey. Anything? Any kind of any kind of news happened in the last couple of days? <laughs> just just a little bit. Just a few things, you know. Hey, the last what four or five days? Let's see. LeBron becomes the all-time scorer. Uh, Kyrie Irving is sent to <laughs> Dallas. Uh, Kevin Durant is sent to Phoenix. Like, I mean, the, the NBA is unreal, Sean. For there is always something. I mean, it's the wildest professional league of the Big Four, of the Big Five, whatever. Like nobody can match what the NBA does. And the reason why, and by the way, I just came back from L.A. with LeBron, and you know, now I plunge right into the trade deadline. But the, the reason it's that way is because the NBA, more than any other sport, one or two players can make a huge difference in, in, yep. in, a, in a championship, in a game, and things like that. 
with football, yeah, you have the quarterback, so those guys are covered. But it, you, you're talking about so many other players. Same thing in hockey. Yeah, stupid our superstar here and there. But with basketball, KD goes from one team to another team, and they're instant championship contenders. And the team he left, eh. Sean, I'm with you, uh, and I say this all the time, the NBA trade deadline day. Like, I tweeted out just a little while ago, it's like going back to the park on the next day, and now we got all new teams. All, all new teams. Yep. Like, all that other stuff is done. And, and I mean, I was, I was, you know, passed out last night, and my phone, you know, phone started ringing, and it was like, hey, man, stuff's bubbling. And, and, and I would ask you this, Sean, uh, from – as long as you has, has have covered the league and what you have seen has this has this deadline with the with the the movement of star players has it shaken the championship odds i mean i know phoenix is big but like you look at a team like denver that says hey man we've been here all year or you look at a milwaukee or a Boston that have been there all year, as much as the Durant move was seismic, those teams still have to feel, well, hey, man, we're in the mix too. Yeah, Paul, I think that's a great point. Um, I don't think it shakes up anything. I just think it eliminates one team, which was Brooklyn, and it, it solidifies another team, which was Phoenix. So elsewhere, I think all the other contenders are still contenders. I mean, they really haven't been weakened. Uh, and I know a couple of them added some fringe players here and there to, at the middle of the end of their rotation, but I don't think any of them were drastically strengthened or drastically weakened at all. Uh, and I think even look at, you look at the West where Denver's on top. I think Denver, I wouldn't, I wouldn't classify Denver as, as being nervous or scared. Uh, I, I still think they're probably pretty confident in what they have. I mean, the one thing you got to keep in mind is that Denver, that team has been together for a little bit, right? Uh, Phoenix, you know, you're adding a piece in the middle of the season. And when you look at a guy like Kevin Durant, look, Kevin Durant can play in any system. So I'm going to put that out there right away. He's a veteran, and he's joining other veterans like Chris Paul. Devin Booker makes it a lot easier. But still, I mean, uh, it's in the middle of the season, and they still have to get it right. And uh, they can't have any kind of setbacks because they're – their bench has been really, really weakened. So I still would say a team like Denver, they're on top right now. I still say they're the favorite coming out of the West. Speaking with Sean Powell from NBA.com, Sean, you might have just uh, you know, perfectly segued to where I wanted to go with this. In my mind, I don't know if you agree, in my mind there's no denying that when you look at what Phoenix did, you can't be critical of acquiring Kevin Durant. Like It's a home run for them. However, as much as we want to sit here and chat about Kevin Durant and Chris Paul and Devin Booker and even having DeAndre Ayton still, that team just got a whole lot thinner and not a lot in terms of the second unit and the depth of that team because they gave up half the roster, it seems, in that trade. How much of an impact could that have on a negative front for the Suns? I think it's too early to, to uh, tell because we still have the buyout season. You think the trade right. uh, deadline was one thing. Now, now you got the buyout thing. I mean, like Reggie Jackson's out there, Russell Westbrook. Not that I think there's going to be a reunion between Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant, but you see what I'm trying. You see where I'm going with this. Um, you know, you're going to have some buyout uh, players there who are going to be looking for a home. And the beauty of the buyout is this: when you're tr- when you're traded, you obviously don't have any say. So you're traded. You got to go where you traded to. But when you've been bought out, now it's the ball's in in, in your hands. 
and you can decide where you want to go. Obviously, you're going to go at a minimal salary, but what do you care? You just got bought, bought out. So uh, now you can decide where you want to go. John Wall can decide where he wants to go if he gets bought out by the Clippers. So, uh, so now it becomes a little bit interesting for a team like Phoenix. You know, they, they can be a very attractive team to players who've been bought out. I mean, if you've been bought out, you're like, hey, why not be playing next to Chris Paul and Kevin Durant and, you know, DeAndre Ayton, Devin Booker? I mean, that's a pretty good option. And I, I think, and I got a new owner who seems to, to be, you know, want to make a big splash. Well, he certainly made a big splash. So, and again, just to sum all that up, this becomes an attractive destination. Not the only attractive destination, but an attractive destination for someone who was bought out and knows that if he goes to that team, he has a chance to get some minutes because the bench has been depleted. Who do you see making a fit or, or being a match uh, in terms of the buyout market? There was there was talk of, of Pat Beverly to Phoenix, and I thought, boy, that would be a whole drama, the way he and Chris Paul, like, you know, the way he talks about Chris Paul, but... You know, I know you. when you're on a team and you wear the same uniform, you put that stuff aside. Do you see any potential fits, Sean, in the in the buyout market? You mean for the Suns? Well, I would think, number one, they would want to strengthen the point guard situation because um, Chris Paul is still Chris Paul, but he's not as consistently high on a high level anymore. He'll have a stretch of games where he's just not doing as much. That, that's understandable, and it comes with age. And the other thing is you have to – make sure that, you know, those guys stay healthy. So if I'm the Phoenix Suns, the first thing I'm looking for uh, is really just point guard help. You know, a Pat Bed would be great. And, yeah, he's had his issues with uh, Chris Paul, but he also had his issues with Russell Westbrook. They, 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 that kind of worked out in L.A. Right. I mean, between the two of them, not for the Lakers, <laughs> but between the two of them, uh, Reggie Jackson's another guy who a couple years ago, he played pretty well for the Clippers. Uh, I don't know what happened this year and, and why it kind of soured on him. But, again, you're only asking for those guys to come in and play 15, 20 minutes. See, when guys like that start to play 25 and 30 minutes, you start to see their flaws. But if you're just asking them to play like 15, 10, 15 minutes, then I think some guys are, are fit for that. They're made for that amount of time. And when you try to stretch them a little bit longer on the floor, then you start to see their flaws. Sean, the two teams in Los Angeles – Am I? I mean, I, I really like what the Clippers did, but am I crazy to think that the Lakers got significantly better as well by at least shoring up some of the depth and, and adding more pieces to the puzzle overall? Yes, I think uh, given what they had to work with, which was not much, they didn't have really that much in terms of assets, and they only had to really sacrifice, I believe, just one uh, number one pick, and even that was conditional. In order to, to get back what they got back is pretty good. They needed to uh, shore up some shooting, uh, which I think they did, and just really become a little bit more well-rounded on the bench and the front end of the rotation anyway. And I think that they, they helped themselves. I think the Lakers are a better team now than they were like a week ago uh, or even like before they even got uh, Hachimura, who I think, you know, given some time and everything, he can probably do some pretty good things. Uh, I was surprised they get up Thomas Bryant because I thought he was having a really good year for them. Uh, I don't know what happened. I know he's going to be a free agent at the end of the summer. Maybe they didn't want to pay him. I don't know. But I, I, that one's the project. But everything else, I thought they'd actually did pretty good. The problem with what the Lakers did, it's not really what they did. It's what Phoenix did. <laughs> you know, Phoenix kind of one-upped them. So now if you're the Lakers and you're sitting there right around the 10th spot or something like that, 
you're saying, well, we're only a couple games away from the, the you know, top six or whatever, but you can leapfrog so many teams in order to get there. And some of those teams improve by the trade deadline. So I think I still think the Lakers have the, the work cut out for them. I think they're a better team now, and they short up some weak, weak spots here and there. But I also think that some other teams in the West got, got better. And so now I think the job is still pretty tough. Uh, Sean, I, uh, Eric was saying it. We we both talked about this just before coming on with you. I like what the Clippers did. I like the Eric Gordon move. Uh, I talked to somebody in Houston just before we came on air, and he's familiar with that organization. I mean, they drafted him. He played there for a while. Uh, I like the Eric Gordon move, and boy, I like the Plumley move as kind of a more athletic uh, type of big that that backs up Zubats. And you know, Bones Highland's a guy that. He can play catch and shoot, or he'll have to on the floor with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. But, you know, when they go to the bench, you can give him the ball, and he'll, he'll, he'll make things happen. He's not your traditional point guard. He's more of a, a lead guard. But I, I like what the Clippers did, Sean. And now that Kawhi's playing again, they could be dangerous. Yes, I think that last part you put in there is very important. Kawhi's playing again. <laughs> Because, I mean, when it's all said and done, I do, I, I do like Bones Highland. You're absolutely right. I do like Plumlee. I, you're absolutely right. But the success and failure of this team is going to come down to really two players, and that's Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, I, look, they both managed Kawhi Leonard since he basically got there. Uh, and part of me, the basketball part of me, will cringe if the Clippers win it all. You know why? It's a copycat league. And now other teams are going to say, oh, wait a minute. If we just, if we just load manage our stars and kind of, you know, pace ourselves out, we can win a championship like this too. And see, I think load management is a problem in the NBA. So the, if the Clippers were to win a championship and Kawhi Leonard is fresh in the playoffs and he's putting up some gigantic games, you saw that right there in Toronto when he came there for that, for, for that brief amount of time. Other teams are going to take note and say, oh, man, well, maybe this is the way to go. It's a copycat league, and I can see something like that happening. Sean, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us on a very busy day. Much appreciated. Anytime, guys. Thank you, Sean. There is Sean Powell from NBA.com. You can check out his work again, NBA.com. What a wild day uh, for the NBA trade deadline 2023, and now we hit the final quarter of the season. Uh, for the Raptors, for all teams. But, Jonesy, let's circle back over the final two minutes of the show uh, regarding the Toronto Raptors. Uh, I'm kind of producing on the fly a little bit here uh, to our fabulous producer, Austin Mackey, who puts the thing together every week. We're going to jump ahead to the Masai Ujiri clip talking about just wanting to go out and compete because this team proving with the acquisition of Jakob Pertl that they weren't sellers, they were more so buyers, and they're trying to make a push. And the belief is, especially with KD and Kyrie gone, Maybe it opens up the East a little bit more. It might not change the top, you know, the upper class of the Celtics and the and the and the and the Bucks and the Sixers, but is the East open a little bit more? And here's again Ujiri just on the compete for the Raptors down the stretch. Uh, we want to win. Yeah, we want to go out and compete and win. Uh, so where where does it go? I, I don't know. You know how how far it goes. I wish I could tell you guys. You know, but um, we want to win. Uh, that's what we've said here from the beginning. Um, this is the first year outside of the year of Tampa, you know, like that. Uh, we've had really like bumpy times uh, here, but this is, I think, the most bumpy it's been. You want to finish on a high, whether you end up, you know, getting into the playoffs and when you end up winning around or not, you're obviously trying to, 
um, send a message to the fan base, but send a message to the core players as well because you have decisions to make in the offseason uh, in terms of free agents. And, you know, you're trying to obviously um, keep this core together, uh, at least a good chunk of it, and then those are guys that, that are they're going to have more of the control in the offseason in terms of what they want to do. Well, and, and, you know, they were talking about it. Doug was talking about how difficult it is to do sign and trade. But if a player really wants to go to a team and the team really wants them, and they will, I think they will make do or, or make it work with the extra money. They wanted them anyway, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I, think that, I think that kind of stuff works. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what plays out in the offseason. But right now, you know, to, to quote Gene Hackman and Hoosiers, uh, you know, my team's on the floor. And that's what Nick Nurse has got to be saying. And let's, let's see what the Raptors have coming home in the last quarter, Eric. Folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Another fantastic show for you as we uh, wrap up trade deadline. And now again, as I say, look ahead to the final quarter of the season and what kind of a push the Raptors and many other teams can go on as we eyeball the NBA postseason and uh, well it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun thanks to Sean Powell Doug Smith and PJ Carlissimo for joining us we'll be back again next week with another edition of Smith and Jones